Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. This episode of the Bearstalk Underground is brought to you by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or in social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in Sports Drink. Spelled like Sports Drink, but without the vowels, so... S-P-R-T-S-D-R-N-K. All we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let out the funk. (laughs) What's up, guys? Here we are previewing week number five. Our beloved Chicago Bears going on the road once again to take on the Minnesota Vikings for an October visit. So weird. Um, So Chris Gates is our friend, and uh, he will be on the show here momentarily to... uh, Help us preview uh, this game. Um, but uh, something I really wanted to emphasize and, and announce to you guys is that uh, it only took me 16 seasons of doing the show, but I have a shirt now. I have a T-shirt. And uh, next week, I'm going to tell you what you can do in order to get one because um, it uh, comes with a catch. So uh, got to do a little something to, uh, to, to get it. But you're going to get it at a great price, I promise you. So keep your eyes on that. I'll be announcing on the social medias and and what have you. The Facebook group, uh, just search Bearstock Underground on Facebook. Find me on Instagram and on Twitter at BTU underscore Larry to find out how you can get your very own Bearstock Underground uh, t-shirt. So I'm very excited uh, about this, and uh, we partnered up with a sponsor for it. So uh should be a good deal. Can't wait to uh, finally have my own uh, my own shirt. It's pretty cool. So... Um, very excited about that. Like I said, next week will, will be your first opportunity to get your hands on it. And, uh, hopefully it will fly off the shelves. I would really like that. So anyway, week number five bears Vikings. Um, the bears need a win here. If we don't want to fall a into an O and two, uh, divisional hole, we also don't want to fall below, uh, 500, uh, and everything, even though we're kind of in the stretch of, uh, like these next four games are all winnable. You know, you have the Vikings, who are probably the toughest of the four games that we have ahead of us. We got a quick turnaround with a Thursday nighter against the Washington next week. Uh, we got the Patriots on Monday Night Football, and we have uh, the Cowboys again. So, you know, and who knows? I think they may or may not have Dak Prescott back by then. I hear Jerry Jones saying he's still having trouble gripping a football with that broken hand uh, of his. So he's got a few weeks to get it straightened out before the Bears uh, come to town. But the the uh, the thing that I'm not looking forward to is that after this game, two out of the next three weeks, we're wearing the orange on orange against Washington and uh, Dallas. So, not only could this be a tough stretch uh, for you know us playing opponents that we can that we have the capacity to beat, but could also beat us uh, kind of thing, but we'll also be the worst dressed team in the league uh, in th- in two of those ball games. So, not looking forward to that, but. Um, I am looking forward to this conversation with Chris Gates. He's been 
was one of my first guests when I started having people on and, and during the 2015 season, always one of my favorites to, uh, talk to. So, um, let's go ahead and get the show started. This is the week five preview episode of the bears talk underground. So let's get to it. Bears Vikings for week number five. It's, um, Always interesting when the Bears and Vikings get to town. That's usually more true when they're in Soldier Field. That's where all the really crazy stuff takes place, like the Dev- Devin Aroma should do game, the um, the game that Chris and I did together for the Retro Rewind, a 90-point output between two of the least likely quarterbacks to be a part of a 90-point shootout. And uh, um, in 2016, the Bears are 1-6 or 1-5 against the 5-1, and 6-1 and one Vikings and Jordan Howard runs for like 500 yards, and we beat Minnesota uh, on Monday Night Football. So it's always some weird things going on uh, in those football games. The Adrian Peterson game in 2007, where you know Brian Greasy throws an 80-yard touchdown to Devin Hester, only to have Adrian Peterson nearly run it back for a touchdown, and their kicker puts one oh through the uprights from 55 uh, with no time left to actually win the game instead. So. Crazy, crazy things happen in this rivalry, usually in Soldier Field, but the uh, U.S. Bank is not without its uh, charms. Uh, it's one of the better-looking stadiums uh, in the NFL, and uh, we'll see if the Bears can uh, get a win. It seemed like we were magically winning those games under Nagy there for a stretch, but uh, you know, we I think we won the first three, 2018, 2019, 2020, and then they finally beat us uh, out there last year, and... Uh, I don't know, see if we can get back in the winning ways and and stay above 500 as we move through this next uh, stretch uh, of our schedule. So let's go ahead and get the show started. We got news and notes, only got a few things here. Uh, the Bears and uh, making some roster moves uh, today. Uh, Cody Whitehair with the knee injury that took him out of the Giants game on Sunday is now going on injured reserve, so he will miss at least the next four games recovering uh, from the knee injury, I haven't heard whether or not he's going to have any procedure done, whether it's an arthroscopic thing or if they got to go in there and open him up uh, and what have you. But um, I haven't heard anything about that. But uh, he is done for at least the next four weeks. Uh, I think this is this is a guy that in the six or seven years that he's been on the team has only missed two starts. So this will be his longest stretch without playing in a bare uniform since he joined the team uh, in 2016. And I don't think he's been officially back on the roster, but he's back in practice, and that's Nikhil Harry, uh, who was out for almost all of preseason and the first four weeks of the season nursing that uh, ankle injury that he suffered uh, in practice one day during training camp. Uh, saw him uh, you know, running routes and catching passes uh, on, on, online uh, today. So we need all the help we can get in the passing game, so it's a welcome addition, especially if he does play on Sunday. So uh, it'd be nice to see him back. Speaking of which, uh, being back, Cairo Santos back with the team after dealing with some personal issues that took him away uh, last week. And unfortunately, that meant that uh, Michael Badgley, the the hero of the Giants game, uh, coming off the street and accounting for all 12 of the Bears points uh, in the Giants loss, uh, was let go from the practice squad. Um, Ryan Poles was nice enough to uh, post basically a thank you card online uh, for what he did for the team uh, last week. But, um, you know, probably 
didn't count for much because you're still firing him. So, but uh, you know, thank you to Michael Badgley. Good to have Cairo back, and uh, we'll go forward uh, from there. And then the last little bit I was able to find the Bears not really big in the uh, news department uh, this week was uh, Dan Orlovsky. I don't think he's a bear hater by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, as a former quarterback, he is just not a huge fan of what the Bears are doing two and four, uh, Justin Fields. Um, he would really like it if the Bears could, uh, you know, handle his development better. And basically he's saying it is impossible to evaluate Justin Fields progress and development uh, as a quarterback with what he's surrounded by in Chicago, whether that was last year more so than not with coaching, uh, with Nagy just absolutely misusing him uh, all year to, to this year, uh, him not having the talent or the horses around him to be able to open things up uh, offensively and, and, and things like that. So he's four weeks into the season, he already seems to be taking a mulligan on this year with uh, with with uh, Justin Fields and and looking forward to next year when maybe the Bears can spend some of that cap money uh, to lure some free agents uh, and some talent this way, whether it be on the offensive line so he's got better protection, or you know maybe we go out and we steal a free agent wide receiver. I hear uh, T Higgins from the Bengals might be available uh, in twenty twenty three. So. Maybe we're able to lure him kind of like we did Allen Robinson back in 2018 to help us, uh, you know, open things up on our offense uh, and whatnot. But, uh, you know, he's basically saying with things as they are right now, it's impossible to evaluate Justin Fields and any progress that he's making because there are so many things not right with his situation uh, in Chicago. So it's, it's, it's an interesting thought. It's also interesting that it's something that he would say this early in the season when there's so much left to go uh, in the year, brand new offense, brand new offensive coordinator and so on. You know, maybe he's jumping the gun a little bit early uh, on that statement. Um, it made sense a year ago at this time with Nagy because this was, you know, an offense that should not have been, you know, that, that, that Justin Fields was not meant to run. Uh, Justin Fields was brought in to bring in the offense that, that Nagy wanted uh Andy Dalton to run last year, not uh, getting him out. And he's not a, you know, quick three, quick thrower, that kind of thing. Uh, trying to ask him to do that while he's still adjusting to the, to the pro game from the college game and things like that. So uh, it kind of made sense for him to say it about around this time last year, but I think we're a little early on it when everything is brand new, um, including the guys running the team uh, this time around. So, Time will tell whether or not uh, we'll be able to actually evaluate Justin Fields as the season goes along. But if you're listening to Dan Orlovsky, that ship has already sailed. You just can't do it at this point. So anyway, that's really all I got uh, for news and notes. Quick look at the injury report. Um, Matt Adams limited today with the hamstring injury. Uh, Dane Cruikshank still not practicing with his hamstring. Ryan Griffin limited with his um, Achilles injury, Jalen Johnson, uh, Jalen Jones, and David Montgomery all missing practice today. Montgomery listed with an ankle. Jalen Johnson still nursing the quad. And Jalen Jones 
out with an illness. So tis the season. So that's all we got going on on the injury department. So let's go ahead and, and, and dive in and, and get uh, let's get Chris Gates in here uh, so we can preview week five Bears Vikings in Minnesota and see what this matchup holds for 2022. Week number five has our beloved staying out on the road after having lost uh, in New York to the Giants. Uh, This time we head into familiar territory, uh, back to U.S. Bank Stadium in October. I mean, is this the upside down? What's going on here? (laughs) Bears-Vikings on Sunday, and as always, to help us preview a Bears-Vikings matchup from the Daily Norseman, our good friend Chris Gates. Chris, welcome back, Ben. Very happy to be back, and a happy new year to uh, to you and yours. Amen. Uh, oh. you know, how was your Christmas? Yeah, this, this isn't January. What the hell are we even doing here? I mean, this is weird. But we got it all yeah, backwards. We're, yeah, we're uh, we're playing before Halloween this year, and uh, then we get to finish the season by going to your guys' place, which, uh, you know, Soldier Field in January ought to be tons of fun for oh, yeah. everyone involved. It's going to be great. Be, should be a blast. Just <laughs> chunks of frozen turf flying all over the place. Totally yep. safe environment for you guys. Especially if you stay on this trajectory and you're getting ready for a playoff run. This is the place you want to finish your season. Absolutely. Can't wait. And Lambeau the week before that, so that ought to be fun. Oh, awesome. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, great. What the bar? I don't know. Maybe at least it will get you guys ready for the outdoor elements uh, or something. I don't know. Hopefully. I mean, there's an upside to it. That would be it, I suppose. But, yeah. No, it's it's good to be back here again, Larry. I I enjoy this. So let's – Let's see what we got coming this uh, All this right. Week. Well, let's talk about your guys. Um, you know, there was a lot of questions kind of surrounding uh, the Vikings, new general manager, new head coach. Uh, you know, would he be able to be the Kirk Cousins whisperer, you know, the way that McVay kind of turned things around sort of with Goff and then finally with Stafford. And, uh, you know, would this also be another successful McVay uh, tree hire? Because, you know, the guy's still like seven years younger than me, but his coaching tree is one of the more impressive ones out there uh, thus far. And week one, right out of the gate, I mean, not only did you beat Green Bay, but you whooped them 23 to 7. You know, Rodgers is turning the football over, and which he never does. They can't run the football uh, and all that kind of stuff. And it all seemed to hinge on the first play of the game when that kid Watson dropped that wide open touchdown pass. And you guys were off to the races after that. Like Green Bay pretty much never touched, uh, you know, anything close to uh, matching up with you guys for the rest of the game. No, it was uh, it was 17 to nothing at halftime, if I remember correctly. If the uh, the uh, the Packers employed their uh, let's leave Justin Jefferson wide open and see if Kirk Cousins notices uh, defense. And he did notice because he uh, he had a huge game that afternoon. And right. yeah, then the, uh, the second half, the defense kind of turned it on a little bit. And yeah, I, I think I think a lot of Vikings fans thought the Vikings could beat Green Bay. I didn't think that many people thought they were going to beat them quite that handily, sure. but they did. I mean, like you said, they they dropped what should have been a seventy-five yard touchdown pass on the first play of the game. But you know that's uh, that's just the way things go in the NFL. Sometimes that uh, that happens. So you know the the Vikings, I'm sure, had some missed opportunities as well, but uh, they took advantage and they got themselves a victory. So yeah. 
It reminded me a lot, strangely enough, of that Bears-Cardinals game in 06 when the Bears were undefeated. It's Monday night football. We're going into the Cardinals stadium, which just opened that season. And the first play of the game, uh, Rex Grossman goes for it all with Bernard Berrien down the side. <laughs> and it was just, I think it was just a little too far or something uh, like that. And it was just like for the rest of the night, Grossman was an, a walking disaster. All the turnovers <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. If not for like one of the best defenses in league history, the uh, you know pull it out and save us. And of course, Devin Hester being Devin Hester, you know the, the, that's this is what that game would have mirrored. I think as far as like how the Cardinals dominated the Bears on both sides, and it was just their night and not ours uh, until mm-hmm. the defense started scoring touchdowns themselves uh, to help us win that game. But it's, like, very familiar. It's like we're, we're probably looking at a much different game if that kid catches the ball and runs it in for a touchdown on the first play because it just changes the whole vibe of, of what's going on out there. Oh, I'm sure they, they probably would have because, yeah, the Vikings took the opening kickoff and just kind of went down the field doing whatever they wanted and got into the end zone on uh, fourth and goal to make it 7 to nothing. And, yeah, they – the, the Packers could have taken all the momentum back on one play, and then yeah, it uh, yeah, ball hits the turf, and you know they, I, I'm pretty sure they punted that ball away, but yeah, they uh, they they just never really got uh, got back into the same zone as the Vikings were in that one. So after they easily handle Green Bay, they head out to Philly uh, for Monday Night Football. Uh, Philly having. Um gone through the now annual week one back and forth matchup with Detroit. Uh, <laughs> apparently Detroit loves to give up early big leads and then come back and almost win the game at the end. And the Eagles were able to hang on to a late victory against the lions. Whereas the, you know, obviously the Vikings just, you know, waylaid one of the NFC favorites, uh, you know, the week before. And I don't think that matchup went the way that anyone really thought it would. I didn't think the, I mean, maybe some people thought the Eagles would win. It's Monday night. It's Kirk Cousins on Monday night. Uh, It's a road game at Philly. Uh, You know, we'll give me Philly by two or something like that. But instead, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Philly got up on the board 14-0 and really never looked back. No, I mean, and the Vikings had opportunities that game. I mean, Cousins threw three interceptions. They were all inside the uh, the Eagles' 30-yard line. So, you know, if you stop throwing the ball to the other team, it, uh, it might turn out a little bit differently. But, you know... Like I said, with the with the Packers dropping that touchdown on the first play of our game with them, that that's just the way things go in the NFL. Sometimes, I mean, yeah. it, I mean, Kirk Cousins doesn't throw three interceptions in a game very often. I know that he's got the the thing about the prime time games and whatnot, but you know, the Vikings had their chances in that one, and they just didn't didn't take advantage of them. I mean, they had a blocked field goal that they took back inside the thirty yard line. They had a interception that set them up with a first and goal and they got no points out of either of those drives and wow you can't do that in the national football league and expect to win so you know maybe if they play again it'll come out differently but it, it was just the eagles night on that uh sure week two monday night game yeah i mean i i didn't watch that much because that was when they like they did the the two monday night games on week two mm-hmm. and they had it staggered starting after the bills and uh titans, titans. game yep and I was enjoying watching the Bills thrashing the the Titans because uh, neither one of those games was close. I mean, no, the Bills were. won forty one to seven over, you know, as opposed to twenty four uh, to seven out there uh, in Philadelphia. But um, and then your you know your game of the year candidate 
the following week back at home against the against those those scrappy little lions. Uh, <laughs> you guys came from behind twice yep. uh, in that one, and and you know our, our good friend Jeremy Reisman from the from uh, Pride of Detroit. Uh, you know I've been telling him. I mean I even told him last year. Uh, with the way the games were going for them, they were just weren't a very good football team last year. Obviously, they're a much better team this year, but they still can't figure out how to put a sixty-minute ball game together. They keep having these lions lapses, uh, if you will, where they revert back to their old selves for a while. Penalties, turnovers, mistakes, and let the other team uh, back into it, and they let you guys back into it twice. And the second time was the dagger. They sure did, and you know a lot of that. I think uh, I know people. I know there's a lot of people out there that kind of like Dan Campbell now, but Dan Campbell straight up lost that football game for for Detroit with some of the decisions he made toward the end. Because you know they they had the opportunity, they had a fourth down, they wound up kicking or attempting to kick a 54 yard field goal uh, that their kicker missed, and that the, the field goal would have put them up six, and so the Vikings would have gotten the football back. You know, still had time. They they had burned all their timeouts, but they still would have had an opportunity. They line up for the field goal and they miss it. So now the Vikings get the ball close to midfield with an opportunity to either tie or win the football game. It was like, but and and they went for it on fourth down like six seven times. Or eight, yeah, six, six times. times. They, they had more fourth down conversions than they had third down conversions in that one because <laughs> I I think they, they I think they went something like three for sixteen on third down. They were just abysmal on third down, but. They got enough fourth downs converted where they could just, you know, keep moving the football. But, yeah, the, the going for the field goal at the end, I mean, after all the times they went for it, that was just about the worst possible decision that Dan Campbell could have made. But I'm happy he made it because, yeah, it gave the Vikings an opportunity to uh, to come back from a second double-digit uh, deficit and uh, eventually walk out with the win. Yeah, I've been uh, doing uh, an NFL show uh, alongside the Bearstock Underground uh, this year, so I'm a little bit more tuned in uh, to what's been uh, going on, and uh, I actually caught the end of that one after watching the Bears struggle to beat the Texans uh, last week, and um, came in right in very first play I saw KJ Osborne touchdown Vikings take the lead, and I was like, oh great, I'm finally I am going to get this pick right after all, because <laughs> you know it's like I picked the the Vikings to win. Uh, and here it all. It's like, oh, 14 nothing Detroit. Well, here we go with this. And oh, wait, no, it's tied. Like, oh, no, Detroit's out ahead 24 to 14 now. Like, oh, wait, no, now it's t- what's going on here in Minnesota? This game uh, was crazy. And, 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 you know, it's like I keep telling Jeremy, it's like if they ever figure out how to put 60 minutes together, I mean, they're going to be a tough out as it is. Um, yeah. But if they if they keep doing what they've been doing, they're going to be 313 and one all over again. They're just going to you know, have a little bit of a better effort to, to show for it this time around. No, I mean, they're, they're actually putting something together in Detroit. I mean, you know, they don't have Jamison Williams back yet because he's still dealing with the injury he suffered last year. And But, you know, they, they've put up points, but they they can't stop anybody. Yeah. I mean, I, I believe uh, I saw the stat that they're number one in the NFL in points scored and number 32 in the NFL in points allowed. So you're, you're going to get a lot of exciting football that way, but it's not to – not really conducive to winning very much, I don't think. Yeah, I was just looking at, uh, like, the, I'm looking at ESPN right now, and it's showing the standings, and obviously they're in last place at 1-3. Uh, they've scored 140, but given up 141. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, yep. they're breaking the scoreboard on both sides, and that's not 
that's not a recipe for success. No, you're you're averaging thirty five points a game and you're one and three. That's yeah. bad juju. But it's also like those uh, those those last uh, playoff teams that the Lions put together when Stafford was still there where they had yeah. to average 40 points a game because their defense is giving up 30-plus. It's like they literally have to outscore their opponents in order to get wins instead of just being able to beat their opponents. No, you know? no. I mean, yeah, you got to win shootouts every week. Yeah. And, you know, there, there are going to be weeks when your offense just isn't there. So, yeah, they. I mean, we saw that in uh, – I'm trying to remember what game it was of theirs. I mean, they, they had the shootout against the Eagles. They had the shootout last week against the uh, Seahawks. Mm-hmm. Uh, our game wasn't really a shootout, I don't think. But, uh, yeah, they, they did beat someone in between there. And the I can't Commanders. Oh, yeah, Washington when they yeah. got out to a big lead. and Yeah, I remember that now. Yep, they yep. kind of hang on at the end. But they, did, uh, they did beat Washington week two. So. Um, so, and then this past Sunday, out there in, uh, in good old London where um, – you know, when when they released them, I thought those helmets for the Saints were pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I still like the black helmets. Uh, I have grown to very much dislike the fleur-de-lis stripe going down yeah. the middle. And no, the uniforms that they paired with them were atrocious. So, See, see I, I thought they would have gone with the black uniforms to go with the yeah, black helmets. I agree. They decided yeah. to go white, white on black. No, I think if they would have gone black on black, it would have been pretty sweet, but... Yeah, I wasn't a huge. I mean, I know somebody's got to wear white, and the the Vikings decide they were going to wear their purples or whatever. But yeah, I, I think they should have gone with the black. But that, well, that's the, just, the Saints were the home team, so I think the choice was theirs, obviously. And then yeah, they decided to go white on white with the top and the bottom. And uh, yeah, well, like I agree with you. If they'd have gone black on black, and you know, you guys have the white tops, purple bottoms, or however you guys rock the the road jerseys yep. and stuff, uh, you know, I think that would have looked a lot cooler. But uh, I think so. Nonetheless, it was uh, quite the back and forth with uh, like four lead changes in the final nine minutes uh, of the game. And, and and Will Lutz, man, he tried to take that game from you guys, kicked a 60-yarder to tie it up. You guys come mm-hmm. right back down the field, kicked the uh, game, another field goal to take the lead. They somehow managed to get themselves back to about the same spot. Because he hit yep. it from 60, second attempt was from 61, and he double-doinked it from 61 to secure the win uh, for, the, uh, for the Vikings. And uh, obviously, you know, as Bear fans, uh, you know, we wake up with night terrors and scream into the world <laughs> when we think about it. But the only thing that aggravated me about that, Chris, was that the announced team for the game didn't say the phrase. They didn't say it. They kept saying, like, off the crossbar, off the upright. Oh, my goodness. He almost made it, you know, a little wide to the left, blah, blah, blah. It's like, say it. Say double doink. <laughs> say it so somebody else can own it. Please say it. No, wouldn't you, say it. If you heard the, the highlights after the game, uh, Paul Allen, the Vikings uh, radio announcer, and the uh, MP Bursich, the color guy, both uh, both hit double doink on, on the, uh, the field goal attempt. So God bless him. <laughs> I was yeah. watching – Watching the uh, NFL Network team do it, and they just would not say the words. Would not say the words. It's like, you rat bastard, say it. Say it <laughs> so we have it on tape. Do it. And they wouldn't. So, But, you know, you guys are 3-1, and one, uh, looking good in the process. couple of tight games there at the end with the Lions uh, and the Saints, but you're heading back home. Uh, I was going to say to the Metrodome. I mean, isn't it always going to be the Metrodome? Um, 
Yeah. But the U.S. Bank, uh, US Bank Stadium and, and hosting the Bears were – you and I, we like to talk about the history of this matchup. Mm-hmm. And historically, this is a game the Vikings win when the Bears come to town. Generally, yeah. I mean, you know, there's been there have been sweeps on both sides and sometimes where the uh, the, vis- the visiting teams win and uh, split that way. But, yeah, generally – like we've said in the past, it usually doesn't matter how good or bad the Vikings are or how good or bad the Bears are. The Vikings-Bears games are always close. There's always something interesting that happens, uh, particularly when we go to Soldier Field. There's weird stuff that happens. Right. But, uh, yeah, there's a, there's always there's almost always something to remember about Bears-Vikings matchups wherever they're at. And like I said, it doesn't matter how good or bad these two teams are. They, uh, they manage to usually find ways to make things interesting. Yeah, last year's matchup being uh, memorable for being the end of the Matt Nagy era uh, when we basically watched the Bears quit <laughs> on him uh, in that game, especially on the Patrick Peterson uh, pick six, where basically and Andy Dalton, who threw the interception, basically stood there and watched Patrick Peterson start on one side of the field and morph his way all the way to the other side, so literally ran across Andy Dalton's face uh, to score that touchdown, and I don't even think the only effort he put in after throwing the interception was uh, wedging his mouthpiece into his uh, face mask frame. You know that that space between the face mask and the helmet that people, mm-hmm. that, you know, players like to stick their uh, mouthpiece into. I think about that's all the physical effort he put into trying to make the tackle on that play. Yeah, I mean, we that was one of those things where you know both teams were kind of going into it knowing that their uh, their coaches were dead men walking. And you know, sure enough, after the day after on uh, Black Monday, both uh, Matt Nagy and Mike Zimmer got the axe, and uh, they wound up going with the uh, younger head coaches. But yeah, it, it was one of, I believe it was one of three games on the final weekend of the season last year that had zero playoff implications. So <laughs> no, nobody cared. Nobody, yeah. nobody gave a damn. I mean, it, it just so happened that uh, the the Bears kind of failed harder than the Vikings did, and you know that's uh, <laughs> that's how it wound up going. So this coming matchup, I'm I'm not really sure what we're bringing to the table uh, for you guys because Nikhil Harry is back in practice, but I don't know if that means he's going to play. We're going to be without Cody Whitehair, which means that finally Tevin Jenkins should be able to play a game from start to finish instead of this nonsense rotation they've been doing with him and and uh, uh, Lucas Patrick uh, at the guard uh, spot. Um, you know, and I don't know if David Montgomery's ready to come back yet. Uh, all I know is Khalil Herbert is amazing running the football. He is absolute a nightmare in pass protection. So if if we're passing the ball and Herbert is in the game, send the house because he won't touch a single one of them. <laughs> uh, the, the one thing I will say about the Bears offense is that they, do, that they do the one thing well that the Vikings have issues with, and that's running the football. Uh, if you go back every game this year, I mean, even the Packers game, uh, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, I believe uh, between the two of them, they were averaging about six yards a carry against this Vikings defense. But, uh, you know, the Packers got behind so quickly, they really couldn't lean on the running game as much. Right. Uh, the the Eagles ran well against the Vikings. The Lions ran well against the Vikings. Uh, and the Saints ran well against the Vikings. So, you know, if, if the Bears can get the run game established, whether it's with David Montgomery, who's absolutely just killed the Vikings over the past couple seasons, yeah. or or Khalil Herbert, or something, they they can they can make things difficult for the Vikings because you know uh, 
Harrison Phillips and Dalvin Tomlinson have been doing well uh, so far this year, but the Vikings have had real issues uh, stopping opposing running games. And like I said, that's the one thing the Bears have done well on offense this year from everything I've seen about them. And if they can get the run established, that they could give the Vikings some problems. Who's your DC now? Uh, Ed Donatel. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. They're right. shifting to the. Uh, they're shifting to more of a three-four three, look yeah. after all those years of the uh, Mike Zimmer four-three uh, scheme. So there, there's been some growing pains. There's been some transitions, but uh, they've had their moments too. So that's uh, that's good. Right. So because uh, uh, it's 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 been kind of it's. I mean, obviously, it's it's been horribly frustrating to watch the Bears. Our pass offense is easily the thirty-second uh, in the league. Uh, right now, I think that you know Fields throwing for 170 yards might have pushed us over the 100 yard game, 100 yards per game average uh, that we had going into the uh, Giants game. But I mean, it's it's still a, 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 a just a big mess as far as the the pass game is concerned, and it, and it it shows the 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 symptoms of a team that is still learning, learning to play together, learning the new offense. And everything else, because each play tells a different story as to what went wrong. Some of it is, as soon as Fields drops back, he's got three guys in his face. Some of it is, Fields has all day to throw the ball, but for one reason or another, he won't get rid of it. And that's either split up between either guys not getting open, or him not thinking, or like overthinking things, and and like not believing his eyes, and like not thinking that person is open or, or whatever the situation is, it's it's one of those things. I mean, I know that's no different than any other NFL team, but when you're struggling and you're trying to get a rhythm going offensively, when it's a thousand problems instead of just one or two, it's a lot harder to uh, corral so that you can get your offense going. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't watched as much of the Bears as I would have liked to this year just because, you know, they they I've had schedule conflicts and that kind of thing, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I I don't know if like you said there there's all sorts of issues, but I mean I don't know if it's if it's fields, if it's scheme, if it's kind of a lack of wide receiver talent or what it is with the Bears. But what I've seen of them, yeah, that that pass offense is just just a cluster. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a total seesaw as far as what our offense is like. You know, you've got the you know got the run game, which going into the Giants game last week it was number two uh, in the league. I'm sure we took a little bit of a hit. Um, cause we did not, uh, I mean, we still ran the ball f- fairly well, but nowhere near what we did against the, the Texans, 281 yards against the Texans the week before, but, and then our offense is easily, or excuse me, overall offense is easily the worst, but overall the passing game statistically and in, in, in every other category, uh, the worst in the NFL. And because you'd think that the, the fact that the running game is going so well would open up everything. For the mm-hmm. offense, it's because it's so difficult to do in the NFL these days to be able to run the ball effectively. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not like when, you know we're growing up and everything, and, and running the ball is what you did eighty percent of the time, and you pass the game to you. You ran to pass the ball instead of today, where you pass to run, kind of thing. You know, you throw the ball to try to open up the running game. You know, it was the other way around forever, and um, it's just. Like I said, you you do the the play action pass and defenses have kind of figured out the cheat code. Lovey showed it to him uh, a week uh, a couple of weeks ago, where on the play action fake when you're trying to get Justin Fields to roll out, 
whoever the edge rusher is that is going to be able to come free on the end, just mm-hmm. keep coming. <laughs> Don't stop for the fake. Just keep going after fields. That's like, that's your responsibility. The quarterback is yours. You go get them. It worked like a charm for the Giants last week. It worked like a charm for the Texans the week before. Fields could almost never get around the edge to, you know, get out into the open to be able to do a, you know, a rollout or a bootleg or whatever to be able to throw the ball uh, uh, downfield. You know, it's like uh, Lovey kind of showed the blueprint uh, on that one. The Texans did it so effectively, and the Giants followed suit uh, last week, and it, it really throws a monkey wrench into the little passing game that we do have uh, to start with. So if, uh, you know, if you get into Ed Donatel's ear, you let him know that's how you, that's how you get after uh, the bears is like the, whoever that, that free rusher is going to be on the play side of those uh, bootlegs and everything. Just tell them to keep coming. Don't bite on the fake. Let the other 10 guys handle uh, the, you know, the runner, or if he does give them the football and everything, just keep coming for fields. Cause you get in his face. He won't be able to get around He'll throw it away. He'll overthrow. You know, whatever. It's that's gonna stop the Bears, not slow them down, but shut them down. Yeah, and uh, well, that that bodes well for the Vikings, given that they have uh, Zadarius Smith and Daniel Hunter and some other guys that can uh, that can do that out on the edge. And we'll we'll have to see if that uh, that continues to hold true this week, or if the uh, the Bears are going to make some uh, adjustments of some sort here. Because yeah, it, if if you have a tell that's that obvious, you would think. Uh, the offensive coordinator would do something about it. But, I mean, if it's been two weeks in a row and you've, you've seen exactly the same thing, it kind of makes me wonder what the uh, what the OC is looking at over there in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. And, and they've seemed to be – I don't know if it's a lack of trust or whatever the situation is, but we got overly conservative against the Giants, and I really think it it hurt the Bears. You know, fourth and, fourth and three from the three, we don't, we don't go for it. We, we yeah. take the field goal. Uh, third and two late in the ball game, they just basically do a straight up halfback dive into a, a nine man box uh, <laughs> and, instead of trying, you know, maybe spread them out. And, you know, even if you want to run the ball, spread them out so you don't have nine guys sitting in the box like that. No, no, we're going to three tight ends. You're just going to bunch everybody all up into the same space and think that Khalil Herbert's just going to phase his way through, you know, 20 <laughs> people to get a first down and. You know, of course, it didn't happen. We ended up punting, and you know, we lost the ball game, uh, and everything. So it's it's been uh, interesting with the way that that we looked offensively in the preseason. And I know it's the preseason, but we'd seen things from the offense in in the way of like Cole Komet being a, an effective weapon uh, in the preseason, and he has flat out disappeared uh, mm-hmm. on us in in the first uh, four games. It's like, where did all of that go? You know, it's like I know that there's a difference between what we were facing in the preseason and what we're facing now. We're facing everybody's best, or at least the very best they can put on the field uh, and everything. We still basically have everybody out there that we want out there, like Mooney and Komet and you know, all that kind of stuff. But it is like none of it's working the same, and we're not seeing the same things that we saw before. I mean, Darnell Mooney complained that they ran like the same five or six plays over and over in the preseason, I was like, can we go back to that? Because we scored points during the preseason yeah. <laughs> while we were doing that. So we moved the ball. We, 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 you know, we moved the chains. We held on to the football. We, we sustained drives as opposed to the disaster that's been taking place for the first four weeks. You know, should we should just go back to the old Tecmo Bowl offense and just run the same four <laughs> plays over and over again and then 
you know, see how that goes. It's like dare him to stop these plays so we can move the damn ball for for a change. And hope the hope the defense doesn't guess which of those four plays you're doing, or else right. you're going to lose like eight yards and fumble the ball and that sort of. Thing. God, I love Tech Bowl when oh, I was growing up. That so was great. so great. You it, know, I yeah. I found this thing, and I was so paranoid that I was going to get screwed. It was uh, kind of like a handheld uh, game thing that came with a memory card that had hundreds of games on mm-hmm. it. Super Techmo yeah. Techmo Super Bowl was one of the games. On there. There, there's there's something out there now, and I can't remember where you find it. It's it's probably illegal, but I'm going to mention it anyway. <laughs> but uh, there, there's a there's sites out there that have like Tech Mobile and Super Tech Mobile where they like update the rosters every year. Oh, and I'm not I'm not cool. sure what I'm not sure what the address is or where to find it or anything like yeah. that. But yeah, it, there, there's they're out there somewhere. It's uh, I can't remember if it's Tech Mobile or Super Tech Mobile, but yeah, they. They update the rosters every year. Yeah, because so. the one that I have, I'm you know I'm mashing my thumbs into oblivion with the '91 Oilers uh, <laughs> in Tecmo Super Bowl because Warren Moon was my guy after Sweetness retired. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so I mean that's what we've been dealing with on the on the offense, hoping to uh, open some things up. Now, what has me especially worried about this game on Sunday is that your offense is easily <laughs> the best one we faced this year, and that's. You know, because Green Bay doesn't have the firepower with the wide receivers that are at least not yet. Anyway, you still yet, got no. some young receivers trying to figure things out with Rodgers and uh, and all that kind of stuff. They were not a very effective in in week two when we saw them. Uh, you know, this year, uh, obviously the the Forty uh, ers are more of it's like Debo Samuel and everyone else uh, on that yep. offense. Obviously, the Texans don't have it. And Saquon Barkley was it for the Giants because their top three receivers are either injured or not playing uh, very well right now. So they're mm-hmm. paying Kenny Galladay $18 million a season to watch from the sidelines mostly. I don't think I saw him out there more than half a dozen plays for the Damn. Bears on Sunday. I mean, they just ran the ball because, <laughs> you know, that's what scares me is that, you know, we've, we've shown vulnerabilities in the passing game. Uh, our rookie Kyler Gordon has been – Taking his lumps, that's for sure. Uh, and we've been especially weak against the run. So how's Dalvin Cook been so far this year? Uh, Dalvin Cook's been a little up and down. I mean, he didn't do much against Philly after having a, a solid game against uh, having a solid game against uh, the Packers in the opener. I think he had like 90 yards. Uh, in the uh, the game against Philly, I don't think he broke 20 mm. uh, because the, the running game just got shut down. Uh, he did well against uh, Detroit until he got hurt. In the third quarter, and then he sat out the fourth quarter, and he he did a solid job against uh, against the Saints. I'm not sure what the uh, what the final numbers were, but uh, he was out there with the uh, shoulder harness again, uh, like he was last year after he got hurt. And uh, yeah, he ha- he hasn't really had a game where he's just gone off uh, to this point. So uh, you know, if you guys are weak against the run, maybe uh, maybe this is the game he gets on track. I mean. Uh, He's done well. Uh, Alexander Madison has had his opportunities, and he's played well. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think the Vikings have had a game where they've really solidly established the run since the uh, since the opener. So we'll have to see what happens there. Yeah, Cook had 76 yards on 20 carries last week uh, against, yeah. the, uh, <laughs> against the Saints. So nothing to sneeze at, but nothing to write home about uh, either. Yeah. Three, almost four yards a carry. That's about what you want out of your running yeah. back. Um, but yeah, Justin Jefferson, 10 catches, 147 yards. We we might want to pay attention to him 
uh, <laughs> on Sunday. Just uh, saying. He kept him out of the end zone, but, you know, yep. he doubled the next uh, receiver behind him. Thielen only had 72 yards last yep. year, last year, last week. <laughs> so Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, they, there's been some issues uh, passing-wise. I mean, there have been times where, I mean, I'm sure Justin Jefferson is the first read on just about every uh, every offensive play or every passing play for the Vikings. And, you know, then you get situations like that in Philadelphia. I don't think Adam Thielen had a target until uh, about midway through the third quarter, which is bad. But, uh, you know, they, they've got – some of the guys have taken advantage of their opportunities. We saw uh, – K.J. Osborne at the end of the Detroit game, get a couple of big catches and ultimately score the winning touch, uh, touchdown. And uh, Thielen finally got on track a little bit over these past couple of weeks. So, you know, the Vikings are learning a new offensive scheme here as well, and maybe uh, maybe they're finally starting to get a handle on things a little bit. And, yeah, they, it, it's radically different on offense from what we've seen over the past few years. So I'm, I'm sure it's taken them a little bit to uh, get used to. Well, there's one thing that I've always loved about being a Bears fan, Chris, and that is watching opposing offenses fix what's ever ailing them against the Bears' <laughs> defense. So, uh, you know, if you've been having struggles in the in the passing game, I look forward tremendously to watching Kirk Cousins throw for 500 yards against us uh, on Sunday because, uh, you know, it's to play the, the, you know, the cynic and everything. It's just I've seen it happen so many times. They come into the game saying, well, uh, well, I mean, they talked about the Giants. The Giants haven't scored a first-half touchdown since late 2020 or, you know, something crazy. Like, like it's been nine games or something like that. They scored mm-hmm. two against the Bears. <laughs> you know, uh, just how many times have I heard, like, oh, this is the worst rushing attack in the NFL, and they run for 180 yards uh, yep. on us. And it made it look easy uh, in the process uh, kind of thing. It's just happened – uh, so many times. I mean, it's happened to everybody's fan base. You hear like, oh, you know, how many times have the Bears come into town? They, they can't pass to save their lives and Grossman threw for 300 yards or something like that. It's it's It happens, but it's it's always funny that when the announcers seem to emphasize something, that's where it goes sideways uh, against <laughs> the Bears. They haven't scored a first-half touchdown in seven weeks. Like, oh, wait, three plays later, there's their first first-half touchdown since you know Ronald Reagan was president or something like that it's <laughs> it's it's always uh you know funny when it goes like that like i was literally screaming at the television in the second half because they would not stop mentioning that the bears have not allowed a second half touchdown all season they haven't allowed a second half touchdown yet in 2022 they haven't allowed a second half touchdown it's like shut up about the second half touchdowns you're killing me okay enough with that because, I mean, you see it happen with kickers. Oh, he's oh, yeah. made 27 kicks in a row. Doink. Oh, well, never mind that. Mm-hmm. Since, ever since we mentioned the streak. So, yep. yeah, you, you see it over and over again in the way that the, the, the announcers love to jinx teams. And it's like whatever's been wrong with this offense always seems to get fixed when they won't stop bringing it up. No, I mean, they, it, 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 they, they do it on purpose. I mean, they have to. Yeah. I mean, you know. <laughs> Like you said, oh, this this hasn't happened in like eight weeks, and then it happens. You're like, oh my goodness, now we have something to talk about. Right. It's just, <laughs> what, what, call the damn game, yeah. and for Christ's sake, just tell me what's <laughs> going on on the on the field. That's your job. I mean, yeah. I mean, you put the stats on the bottom of the screen every once in a while, and that sort of thing. And you know, you know, stop stop bringing up the same damn thing because you're just going to screw it up. You know. It's just, like I said, I was literally yelling at the television in like all of the fourth quarter because they would not 
stop bringing up the Bears. Have, every time the Bears were on defense, they mentioned it at least once that we <laughs> haven't allowed a second-half touchdown yet in 2022. Thankfully, we were able to uh, hold firm and just gave up field goals in the second half. But, you know, over and over again with this, they haven't allowed a touchdown in the second half. It's like, God damn it, shut up. <laughs> You're killing me here. You know, like they wouldn't stop with Carlos Santos was on that great streak uh, from yep. the end of 2020 and throughout uh, most of last year. Uh, he's made 30 in a row, 36 in a row. It was like, shut up about the streak. <laughs> uh, you know, so, yeah, it, it happened. So I'm interested to see how this game is going to turn out. Will this be a good old-fashioned Bears-Vikings game where it's the divisional game, you got the you know, the history and, and these guys go back and forth be, because at the moment you can kind of say the history isn't there. You got two first year head coaches, head coaching for the first time for these particular teams. I'm obviously they'll, they'll know the history of the matchup, but will it factor into the game at all on Sunday? No, I mean, and, and yeah, that, that makes uh, that makes sense. I can understand what you're talking about there, but I mean, obviously they know the importance of divisional games and, uh, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know how it's going to factor in for like tiebreakers for the Vikings or anything like that. But, uh, you know, they, they understand the importance of divisional games and, you know, they're still trying to get their feet wet. And they they uh, I mean, uh, Kevin O'Connell's already beaten the other two uh, NFC North teams at home. He doesn't want to uh, he doesn't want to lose this one. So he knows how important it is. And, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. I mean. They said more more often than not, Bears Vikings games are interesting. If yeah. we can say nothing else about them. Oh, that's right. You guys are on the road for the division for the rest of the year after this. Yeah, this is a this is our third uh, third divisional home game in uh, in five weeks. And yeah, yeah, we uh, we beat Green Bay at home, beat Detroit at home, and now we got Chicago at home. So yeah, it's a it's a little weird the way it's set up, but yeah, we'll we'll take uh, hopefully we'll take three and zero in the division after the first five weeks and uh, see what happens from there. Yeah, not a bad way to uh, start. Have you been to U.S. Bank yet? I have not, no. unfortunately. Because uh, I've, I've got ESPN open while I'm looking over stats and everything, and uh, tickets as low as $94 to go to U.S. Bank Stadium. So Dang. Not a bad price because it would cost me about $600 sitting in the nosebleeds at Soldier Field. So <laughs> really looking forward to that new stadium where we can pay, you know, $800 to sit even further up. Um and- with the more and you know what? I, I've been I've been reading and seeing stuff where the the Bears want to want to actually have a stadium with some sort of a roof on it. Mm-hmm. After all, after all the crap that we have had flung at us ever since the Metrodome opened about not playing in the elements and not playing outside and being soft and weak because we're playing indoors. If you guys build an indoor stadium there in Chicago or suburbia or uh-huh. wherever it's. Man, you guys are going to catch so much hell for that. It, it's going to be... It's, it's already be, starting. No, I'm uh, sure it is. It's already starting. Erlacher has already gone on record saying that it, he thought it'd be a huge uh, mistake if uh, Chicago put a dome uh, over the stadium. And it's like, you know, they're doing it because they want to get a Super Bowl. Who wants to go to Chicago in February? And uh, like, he's not wrong, but, you well, know... I mean, they, they got people to go to Minneapolis in February for a Super Bowl, so... Yeah. And Indianapolis and, you know, and, yeah. and other places like that. Detroit had a Super Bowl not too long ago and and, uh, and what have you. So, yeah, it's probably going to happen. That would be one of the reasons. It would be owned by the team, for starters, yep. which would be another huge reason 
but then to put a dome over the top of it because then it would be an endless possibility of what could happen at yeah. the stadium. Concerts, um, you know, as an old wrestling fan, I know that the WWE would love to have WrestleMania in Chicago See, again. That, that's, the, that's the thing. I know they've had, I think they've had WrestleMania in Chicago before, like the United Center or the, the Rosemont Horizon or yeah. wherever it was, it was back in the day. Yeah. See, I, I, I'm, I've been watching wrestling religiously since I was like five years old. Yeah. And I thought that, you know, U.S. Bank Stadium would immediately attract a WrestleMania mm. or something. Like that. And it hasn't yet. And it would be awesome because, you know, you have the, the lighting stuff on the outside of the stadium that you could, like, change to do oh, whatever, yeah. or whatever yeah, wrestler yeah. entrance and stuff like I, I would love to go to WrestleMania at U.S. Bank Stadium. But, I mean, it's been there since 2016. And it looks it seems like WrestleMania has kind of shifted actually to more outdoor venues now because they've had them at uh, they had one at MetLife Stadium not too long back. And they had uh, they've had them in other places that are more well, they've had them in Orlando and stuff like that. And right. Tampa. But I, I think they've actually shifted to more of an outdoor thing for WrestleMania now. Well, so I don't know. If, I don't know if U.S. Bank Stadium is going to get one. Yeah, the last one that was held in Chicago, I was actually there. WrestleMania 22 at the at the Rosemont. I was there. Oh, dang. Uh, nice. my, yeah, my buddy called me up and said, hey, I found some <laughs> tickets online. Do you want to go? I'm like, Absolutely. yeah, man, let's do it. So they go to WrestleMania. That's one of those bucket list events. You, you got to go yeah, to WrestleMania. And so we went, and even though neither one of us were really into, into the product at the time uh, and everything, mm-hmm. but it was WrestleMania. It was awesome. We had so much fun. Uh, and everything, and it hasn't been in an arena since then. That was the last one that was in arena ever since then. Like the next year, it was at Ford Field in Detroit, and the year after that, it was in the like the stadium in Orlando. And it's it's been stadiums, not yep. arenas, since since that last one. I think they're up to what thirty seven, thirty eight now, and it's yep. it's all been ginormous uh, venues. And now they're up yeah. doing two nights. Yeah, two no. night WrestleManias now. Yeah, the one, the one show I can't remember how many years ago it was, but it was the one with the Undertaker's. Uh, what was supposed to be the Undertaker's last match when he was, uh, when he went against Roman Reigns in the main event. Mm-hmm. That show from like the start of the pre-show to the end of the thing was like seven freaking hours oh, long. Yes. It was just ridiculous, and that, that enough people complained that I, I think the I can't remember if the year after that was COVID or a couple years after that, but when the COVID thing happened. And they were doing all the shows at the uh, performance center in Orlando. Yeah, that was they started doing the two night thing. Right, and then they're like, "Oh, we're going to be in Tampa this year. We're we're going to do two nights again." And so, I mean, you can make twice as much revenue. You can pack the house both nights. So it it makes sense for them. But yeah, that that last WrestleMania before they started doing it, it was like seven or seven and a half hours long. I was I was out on the west. Co- I was out on the west coast. It was still like ten thirty p.m. By the time it was finished, it was it was ridiculous. Man, I, I just remember as a kid growing up, all those events started at like three in the afternoon. Yeah, the big ones did. I mean, yeah. there was only like four pay per views back in the day. Yeah, it was, wasn't the a monthly thing like it is now. Yeah. Oh man, good stuff. So, but yeah, I mean, if if the Bears end up getting that stadium, I was like, mm-hmm. the Big Ten is based in Chicago, so the championship game is coming back to Chicago. It's not going back yeah. to Indianapolis anymore you know you can have concerts year round as opposed to trying to wedge them into the you know spring summer months and and things like that because the weather sucks in chicago for the most part it's not a very agreeable uh place when you're trying to do something outdoors you know yeah uh so it's just uh it it's a no-brainer they're gonna put a dome over that place it's going to happen so um 
you know, what are you going to do? They're going to show up. They're finally going to have a premium stadium, which the Bears and the Bears fan base deserve. Yeah. Uh, we'll be away from the park district so we can manage our own stadium as opposed to being the mercy of whatever it is there at the whim uh, of doing, like with the grass and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, Maybe maybe you guys can get a playing surface in there that doesn't look like there a cow pasture yeah. midway through October. I mean, Jesus, it was that. I mean, every, I mean, I know Soldier Field is big and historical and great and everything. Everyone hates the playing surface at Soldier Field. I can't yeah. imagine the Bears players who have to play on that, you know, nine or ten times a year. They they must hate it more than everybody. But yeah, the the, the playing surface between them and like. FedEx Field or RFK Stadium when it was back in the back in DC, oh, yeah. just just the worst damn turf anywhere ever, and people get hurt all the time and crap like that. But yeah, yeah hopefully, I, I would like to see the Bears get a new stadium. I'm just saying that you know Bears fans for years have told us that we're just soft and weak because we have our <laughs> our stadiums with our roofs on them and stuff like that. And yeah, it. I mean, y'all are going to catch hell for it. So, yeah, yeah it, it sounds like you've already. Yeah, it's it's already starting. Like, yeah. you know, from Bears alumni that are, you know, already bucking. Because it was, Erlacher was on Jay Cutler's podcast and they were talking about it. Both of them, you know, <laughs> shouldn't happen, shouldn't do it and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of them kind of lean on that being a home field advantage. I was like, mm-hmm. not since Ditka, honestly. <laughs> When is when has bear weather been a thing since Ditka left? Yeah. I mean, we've we've been a mediocre at best team since Ditka left, uh, you know, and we've only had what five, six playoff teams in the thirty years since mm-hmm. Ditka's been gone. So bear weather has only really been a thing in those select seasons, as opposed to oh. Here are the six and nine Bears taking on the twelve and two Forty ers and the 49ers coming into the elements in late December, they just couldn't <laughs> handle it, and the Bears ran them off the field. That hasn't happened. No. You know, it really hasn't. It always kind of factored in with how good the team was at the time. It was never one of those things where a team that was way better than us just couldn't handle the elements, and we live in this stuff, so we killed them with it kind of thing. That hasn't been a thing for such a long time. Put a damn dome over the place – Take the weather out of the out of the equation and let them play football. It's like the Lambeau mystique when Michael Vick and the Falcons went in there and stomped it dead the one year in the playoffs, right. and then the couple years after that, Culpepper and Moss went and stomped it dead again. And oh, that was the know, moon game. It, it was. Joe it Buck was. lost his goddamn mind when, when yeah, Randy like, Moss mooned the crowd. And, and that was and that was one of those things. Like, oh, the, the Packers have never lost, or they haven't lost a home playoff game in like forty years, and then. Yeah, a couple of a, a team from the deep south and a team from a dome stadium a couple hours away just went into the went into Lambeau in January and just stomped that team twice. So, yeah, I mean, I I, I understand it. I understand where the old timers are like, yeah, back in my day we didn't have dome stadiums and your, your, your heated seats and whatever. But you know, whatever. I mean. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I had my dad tell me stories about what it was like at the old Mets stadium back in the the sixties and seventies. Oh Apparently, yeah. for the fan, for the for the fans, it was just freaking miserable. I especially bet. when you get get that wind blowing in, and it's like the wind chills like thirty below and crap. Wasn't like, one end of the stadium completely open? I think it was, if I remember. I I didn't get an opportunity to go to Mets stadium by the time I started cheering for the Vikings and the Twins. It was the the early eighties, and the Metrodome had already been put up. But sure. 
I, I, I just heard from the from the stories that kind of the older folks tell about uh, Met Stadium, a lot of the times it was just a miserable experience for the fans. Yeah, I, I think I remember watching on, on NFL films because I used to just, when I was a kid especially, you could just inject that stuff in my veins. I couldn't get enough Oh, absolutely. Of it. And they would talk about, like, you know, hearing Steve Sable, rest in peace, talk about mm-hmm. that old stadium. And, and, and you know, like, I, I believe at least there was at least a section or something like that that was wide open. So those Arctic winds had nothing between them and cutting through the entire uh, crowd, uh, you know, on one end of the stadium or, yeah. or whatever. And, of course, the there was no luxuries. Like, the seats were all, like, aluminum benches, which must have just been yeah. so awesome to sit on. Oh, uh, and everything like that. <laughs> then they get the the Metrodome, and and yeah, they haven't been back to the Super Bowl since the place opened up. But you know, the fans enjoy going there, and they're one of the most loyal fan bases in the league. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you talk about the NFL films thing with all the uh, with all the uh, the emphasis on safety and stuff like that. You remember when you know you'd subscribe to Sports Illustrated, and they'd send you a a forty five minute VHS tape oh, yeah. of quarterbacks just getting murdered. For like forty five minutes, yeah, we're gonna put some Bon Jovi behind this, and you're gonna watch, uh, you're gonna watch Dan Fouts just get slaughtered for forty five minutes. I'm like, you could never get away with that kind of crap now. I mean, yeah. damn. Remember this? Was- uh, remember this quarterback? You don't remember when he got his head dislocated from his spine on this one play? We're gonna show yeah. that to you in slow motion with rock and roll behind it. Here we go. Absolutely. <laughs> so, oh god we're, we're so old it's ridiculous yeah it's it's bad it's bad we're doing we're doing our best though to uh to we hang are. up with these kids and doing this podcast and stuff <laughs> so but uh you know chris it's it's always fun having you on man and and it's um you know we're we're not getting the things always happen you know in in this in soldier field matchup to start the year like nope. we usually do but We'll see if it. We'll, we'll see if it's a, just a time of year thing. Maybe maybe that's what it is that things always happen weird when the Bears play in October. Because it was, um, I think it was either Halloween or just before when we did our uh, retro rewind game. That was like week seven Something in like October. That, yeah. that crazy game yep. that we talked about. Oh yeah. So maybe that's uh, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's not a Soldier Field thing. Maybe it's a uh, playing in the uh, playing in the uh, you know the first quarter of the season kind of thing because if i remember in 06 we were up there week three which i think is probably the earliest we've ever played in minnesota like ever I think it, was, it was something like that yeah, yeah week, and it was a, a really awesome back and forth game that the the bears won right at the very end of the pass to rasheed davis to yep to, to take the lead and, and eventually the win on that one so maybe we'll have a fun back and forth game like that i, I would love to see the team that played in the second half against the 49ers it was a team that was getting after the passer. We were moving the football. Fields, who was like two for 11 in the first half, was like five of seven for like 110 yards and two touchdowns in the second half. If we could see the team that played in those two quarters finally show up for an entire football game, I'm looking forward to what's going to happen on Sunday. But if the team well, that's been playing since then shows up, oh, boy, it's going to be a long afternoon for me. Well, like I said, if uh, if you guys can uh, can establish the run a little bit, whether David Montgomery's out there or not, or whether it's the uh, Khalil Herbert show uh, for this week, uh, you guys can present the Vikings some problems because that's the uh, that's the area they've had issues with, and that's what the Bears do well. So, you know, if if, uh, if the Bears can kind of shorten the game a little bit and establish things on the ground, uh, things could probably get pretty interesting. Yeah, for me, it's it's not so much establishing the run; it's being able to do play action 
off of it because eventually you guys are just going to load up the box and that will start <clears throat> to slow us down and it would just be a matter of making you pay for it by taking some guys out of out of coverage and that's where the bears have failed on offense so far uh this year so if um you know we come out running you guys are playing a normal six seven man box and we get a couple of first downs you starting to tighten it up and throw some extra bodies in there that's where the bears need to pivot and start opening things up and you know, throwing the ball either either throwing the ball more or mixing in play action to try to catch somebody with their uh, pants down. They haven't been able to do that, and that's what makes me worry about what could happen on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Vikings have had their issues. Uh, you know, like I said, issues stopping the run. Uh, the offense isn't quite as consistent as we would like it to be at this point. But you know, like uh, like we said earlier, there's still a bit of a learning curve happening with the uh, the new scheme and. Uh, both on offense and defense, but mo- more notably on offense, I think. But uh, yeah, it. Uh, I th- I think it's going to be a significantly better game than a, a lot of people are thinking it's going to be. But uh, I I do still think that I, I still think that the Vikings are going to uh, to come out on top in this one. Yeah, I, be- I believe so uh, as well. As like I, with the way we're playing, I just can't pick my guys right now. I was like, you know, you hate that. Uh, yeah, where, where you just like you want your team to win, and I'll be thrilled and over the moon to be wrong. But I'm going to have yep. to be wrong because I can't pick them to win this game. I can't. No. So absolutely been there before. Yeah. So, all right. Well, Chris, thanks so much uh, for coming on and uh, talking old school wrestling and video games with <laughs> me and sprinkling in some Bears Vikings talk in the middle of that. Uh, uh, we always look forward to having you back. It'll be a while uh, when we actually do get to say Merry Christmas and New Year to each other when we talk again. But uh, where can we keep up with you in the meantime? Uh, we are at uh, www.dailynorseman.com. Uh, Twitter handle is just uh, at Daily Norseman. Uh, I'm still doing the uh, the live post game show with my friends uh, Drew and Ted. Uh, go to YouTube, uh, search for Vikings Report with Drew and Ted. Uh, they're a uh, yeah. We usually get going about uh, five minutes after the uh, game concludes, and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's basically everything I'm doing at this point. All right, Chris Gates from the Daily Norseman. As always, a pleasure to have you on. We'll. Uh... We'll see you at the end of the year. Thanks a lot, Larry. Looking forward to January. As always, I want to thank Chris Gates for being on the show. I, uh, for those of you who mind, uh, sorry for the tangents that we went on there talking about WrestleMania stadiums and, and classic video games and things like that. But, uh, you know, can't talk about football all the time. But uh, always fun to have him on. Be sure to follow him on uh, at the Daily Norseman and uh, check him out from time to time just to keep up on uh, what the other half is uh, doing. Wrapping things up here with keys to the game. And um, you heard me mention some of it when when talking to Chris. And, and I would really like to emphasize play action this week. And, and not so much like what I was talking about last week with the Giants where, you know, I want to see us play action, deep drop, hurl it down the field, and, and that kind of thing. Yes, I would love to see that. But it doesn't even have to be that. I just want it to kind of open up the offense and we start completing some passes. It's going to get the Vikings out of the box because they're probably going to start the game with eight guys in the box because they know. They're going to challenge us to throw the football. And what's going to get them to take a couple of guys out of the box and put them into coverage is if we start beating them on some of these 
plays, get Mooney and, and uh, Komet going on a you know crossing route or something like that across the middle to, to get a couple of first downs early and, and things like that to, to open things up, to make the Vikings honest uh, about those uh, play-action uh, fakes uh, and everything. Let them freeze up so our guys can get behind them uh, kind of thing. It's just... It's, it's necessary. We got to get this offense going. We got to get it moving uh, to resemble something of a pro football uh, offense right now. And uh, we, we can't just live and die by the running game. Uh, we've proven that. So, I mean, it's just there, there has to be more of an element, more of a balance uh, to the offense. And I think the way there is play action. So, because they know that we can run the football even though we didn't have the same success against the Giants that we did against the Texans, we still put a pretty decent number up uh, in the running game. So, you know, the running is going to be there. That's going to be a main element of our offense, but we need to start throwing the football. And speaking of which, I need my quarterback to start being more aggressive. You, you see him sitting back there, sitting back there. It's like, honestly, as stupid as this is going to sound, I would rather have him be more like Brett Favre where he's out there slinging it around, trying to fit it into a place, or, you know, I, honestly, I would much rather have that. I would much rather have him throwing interceptions than standing back there and then taking off running and more times than not getting plowed at the end of the play. You know, just throw the ball. Just throw it. See it? Do it. That's it. Done. At this stage, I would like to see more of that. I want him to see, I want him to be more decisive, more confident, more aggressive. He has the arm talent, man. Let her rip. Let her rip. I mean, one of the things that made me so excited about being able to draft Justin Fields was after the struggles that Mitch had with his accuracy uh, and things like that, to see, you know, Justin Fields make those throws in college where he could thread a needle with some of his throws, to have that guy as my quarterback is like, man. How many times did Mitch miss a touchdown to Mooney or Robinson or Miller or, God forbid, you know, Taylor Gabriel or something like that in those years because his ac- he just couldn't hit the broad side of a barn half the time? It's like, but now we got a guy that can pinpoint, uh, you know, his pinpoint accuracy is one of the better arm talent quarterbacks in this draft, and we got him. And we're not seeing that guy right now. I mean, I know that's it's a far cry from Ohio State where you got 28 seconds to throw the ball because you're playing against the best offensive line in college football uh, and everything, and you got all the time in the world to wait for your receivers to get open. Doesn't work that way in the NFL. So the clock's got to be faster, but also not too fast at the same time. Because sometimes it's a second, second and a half. He just takes off running. It's like, wait a minute, you you got to give them those two seconds to be able to get open and run their patterns and things like that. So. We need to meet it somewhere in the middle, but I want him to be more aggressive. See it, throw it, you know, that kind of thing, as opposed to literally scanning the entire field before he even begins to think about making a decision. More decisiveness, more aggression, more confidence. You have one of the better arms in the league. You have tremendous arm talent. Throw the damn ball. Throw it. Throw it. You, should, you guys should sit here in this room with me and watch a game with me. Every time we drop back to pass, First thing out of my throw the ball, throw the throw it, Justin, throw it, you know, over and over again. Get rid of the ball. So that's key number two. Play action is one. 
Fields being more aggressive, more confident, more decisive. That's number two. And then number three, it's a no-brainer. we got to be better up front on both sides of the ball. Uh, offensively, got to be much better in pass protection, whether it's uh, you know maybe helping out with, with tight ends chipping uh, on their way out, uh, really working with Khalil Herbert and company with his, uh, his pass protection. It is god-awful. He is terrible at, at, at pass protection. Because it's, it's, people kind of wonder why it is that, you know, with as well as, as Herbert ran, especially during the preseason this year, why he wasn't the starter instead of Montgomery. It's like, well, Montgomery can block. Montgomery is excellent in pass protection. Khalil Herbert is a swinging gate. So it's just the part of game, part of his game, that is uh, extremely important, and he is terrible at it for for all of his uh, virtues, uh, and in how well he runs the game, and some sometimes he runs it better uh, than David Montgomery. He's a bit more like I was hoping for uh, Justin Fields. He's more aggressive. He's more decisive. He's a one cut and run kind of running back, whereas David Montgomery likes to dance a little bit more. But uh, when it comes to pass protection, if he, if he doesn't miss it altogether, he he barely gets a hand on the guy and he's past him, uh, kind of thing. But um, you know, but the offensive line itself, especially the interior line, has to be a lot better uh, in pass protection. Um, talking to you, Sam Mustafer, and uh, on the defensive side, we got to be better in both phases. Well, you know, aside from the three sacks we got against Rodgers in the first half of the Packer game, I don't think we've, I mean, we have like maybe one sack since then, which was late in the Texans game, and we did not touch Daniel Jones uh, last week. We were too busy falling for play fakes. But in the passing game, we got to be better. And hell, maybe Allen Williams just needs to be a bit more aggressive and blitz a little bit more. Um, you know, doesn't have to send 12 guys uh, at, at once uh, or everything, and it doesn't have to happen 40% of the time like Wink Martindale did for the Giants uh, last week. But it would be nice to see every once in a while a uh, corner coming out of nowhere or Jaquan Brisker, who seems to be able to do everything, send him on a blitz and see how that goes uh, kind of thing. Just just trying to get there with four right now is not working. Uh, it's not working. Robert Quinn is... Uh, I guess it, you know it's his career path to kind of have a a low year after he succeeds. You know, set the team record in sacks last year, and he's only got maybe one so far this season, and not much, not many more in the uh, quarterback hits or pressures department uh, either. But we got to be better at getting pressure uh, on the quarterback, especially with uh, with Cousins. Um, he's he's going to stand in the pocket. He's not going to beat a, beat us on his feet. We're not going to have to worry about him being Daniel Jones uh, this week or anything like that. But stay in the pocket because he will stand there and take the hit and throw the ball. So it's not so much about trying to rattle him or anything like that. We got to get to him. Same thing with, like I said, with with Rodgers. It's not about getting there and, and rattling him and forcing him to make mistakes later on and everything. And that's not who this guy is. You know, Cousins will throw interceptions. He's much more prone to that than Rodgers ever will be. But um, getting to him beating him up, that kind of thing will go a long way in, in helping us be successful on Sunday. And then just flat out, we got to be better against the run. The, the running backs, uh, no matter who they are, are having success pounding it down our throats. 261 yards against the Giants uh, on Sunday. 
Uh, Damian Pierce, 80 yards rushing for the Texans. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, uh, you know, Aaron Jones, 130 yards. I think Dillon was somewhere close to 60, almost 200 yards just from those guys uh, and everything. And who knows how the game would have turned out had Elijah Mitchell been able to finish the game for the 49ers uh, in the running game. So, you know, we got to be better up against – we got to be better in the trenches. It, it starts there up front uh, on both sides. You know, run run blocking, I don't really have an issue. We're one of the best in the league right now. It's pass protection that really needs to improve to help things get moving uh, with the offense and on, on defense. Both phases need a lot of work. You know, we need to start getting after the quarterback, you know, whether it's just pressures or, or actually getting getting home and getting sacks. And then in the running game, you know, Dalvin Cook can eat us alive if we're not careful uh, this week. His, his old nemesis, Akeem Hicks, doesn't play for us anymore so he won't be there to be Dalvin Cook's nuisance uh like he had been for the last six seasons or so so we just got to be better up front because it all starts there you know that's that's probably where a bunch of our uh draft and free agent resources are going to go is to, to building that defensive and offensive front uh for Ryan Poles um being an offensive lineman himself that's that's where it all begins and he knows that so things keep going the way they are you're going to see a lot of new faces on both sides of the ball in that area next season so but uh as i said begrudgingly uh i got to take the vikings uh to win this one Uh, i just um i want the bears to win i'll be thrilled and happy and over the moon if they are able to get the victory i won't be surprised because this is a division matchup and all that kind of stuff i won't be surprised but um with the way that they've been playing since the, you know, since the opening drive of the Packer game, I, I I can't in good conscience pick them to beat the Vikings. I just don't think it's possible right now. So I think we got a much better chance next week against the Commanders on Thursday Night Football when we'll be wearing the worst uniforms in football. But um, this Sunday, I don't think so. So I, I hate to do it, but I got to take Minnesota. So anyway, guys, that is going to do it for the Week 5 preview episode of the bear stock underground come back tomorrow when we will preview the rest of the week five slate and um who's the thursday night game let me see if i can just go ahead and put it on record right now i bet the nfl is not going to do me any favors with this matchup and there it is indianapolis at denver oh jeez. <laughs> Denver finally broke 20 points uh, against the um, Raiders. The only problem was they gave up 32. Uh, I thought Indianapolis could uh, beat the Titans after beating uh, the Chiefs the week before. Instead, before you blink, they're down 24-7 in the second quarter uh, en route to a 24-7 loss, 17 loss to the Texans, Texans, Titans. Um, hell, they almost lost to the Texans. They went to overtime and tied. But uh, ah, the hell with it. Give me Denver. I'll take Denver at home against this uh, Indianapolis team. And I oh, actually, I think that's more of an informed pick because Jonathan Taylor, who's probably the the one thing that the the Colts have on offense right now, is out for the Thursday night game with an ankle injury, so he's not playing. Um, And, you know, Matt Ryan, God bless him. He can still throw the ball. He'll probably still get his 300 yards, but he's been doing that all season. And the, uh, they got shut out against the 
uh, Jaguars. They only scored 17 last week against the Titans and everything. So all of his production is not resulting in points for the Colts thus far. Uh, give me the Broncos to get the win uh, at home on Thursday night. So there you have it. I'll uh, make the rest of my picks tomorrow night, probably during the Thursday night game recording uh, the episode. And uh, come on back for that on Friday morning to hear how the rest of it is going to go. And until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been Bears Talk Underground. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate. Or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So, do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.